Welcome to episode 14 of Lost Without Japan, a travel podcast about the life-changing experiences of exploring Japan and those moments we'd be lost without. This is your very own Kanko Gaido for TKIC Studio Productions, coming to you with hopes and dreams of a return to travel for himself and others in summer 2022. I'd like to thank you for giving me a bit of your time today. And I truly hope this podcast finds you in a good place or on the path to a better one, no matter how it may seem at this moment. My belief is that we could all use a beacon like this in our lives to help guide us through these times. And my hope is that Japan, along with this show, will become that for you. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. If you're returning Lost Without Listener, thank you for turning once again. Let's start today's show with the second of three episodes on Osaka, as well as the first part of our discussion on lodging in Japan, with some positive mental imagery. As you arrive for your flight to Japan today, remember, the left lane is for loading and unloading only. And double check you have your luggage, passport, and phone with you as you get out of the Lost Without Japan rideshare. You've made it. Today is the day you leave for Japan. As you go through the doors of TKIC International Airport, go ahead and take a few deep breaths and come along with your Kanko Gaido as we will get you on your way for either your first trip to Japan or your return trip to Japan so you can make even more of your own Lost Without Moments. As we go through the security checkpoint, make sure to stay with your tour group and let's see how your preparation for your trip is going. Remember, you can always reach out to the show at lostwithoutjapan at gmail.com or lostwithoutjapan on Instagram. How are your dream come true saving account going? Hopefully, you're seeing this begin to grow or forgotten about it, and you're pleasantly surprised at your progress. Remember, no amount is too small, and all that matters is that we're either taking that first step or continuing to move forward together. Feel free to take advantage of myself at any time for support or just so that we can celebrate your successes together. What are you looking to purchase next? I'm still waiting to get a hard date for the arrival of the show's new MacBook. I'm hoping to have it for this weekend so that I can have it for two collaborations for our show. I truly can't wait to share all this bonus content with you as soon as it is completed. Remember to take advantage of the show's Google Doc for a ton of resources that make your listening experience, as well as your next trip to Japan, even better. You can find that, of course, as always, in our show's notes. I'm truly thankful for all the interactions and recommendations that I've been lucky enough to receive and share with you these last few months. It's been so much fun to see our community continue to grow. I was blown away by our increase in listeners these last few months, and I'm so incredibly thankful for each and every one of our over 188 unique listens. A big thank you to all, not only who listened, but also those of you that shared the show with others. I love the community we're forming, and I look forward so much to seeing you and your pictures from Japan on your next trip in the future. As always, today's timestamp to take you directly to our talk on Osaka Part 2 will be able to be found in the show's Google Doc. Some big news for the show this past weekend. I was able to join the Moonlighters Club podcast for an interview. We ended up talking about the show, 
a bit about my experiences in Japan, as well as just some background about my teaching and where I came from. I cannot thank Joel enough for interviewing me, for letting me interview him, for a very special bonus episode that we'll be releasing soon as well. I've included a link to the show's website, as well as their Instagram, so you can check them out. Truly had a wonderful time. And we'll make sure to post a link to the interview on our Google Doc, as well as the show you know, information and things that we have as soon as it drops for the Moonlighter Club podcast. As I said earlier, though, this is not the only bonus content coming this way for the show. Stay tuned to Instagram and turn on your notifications for your favorite podcast service so that you can be aware when it's available for your listening pleasure. To take us out at the end of today's show, I'd like to borrow from one of our future collaborators, Japan 2.0, and start introducing you to some wonderful music from Japan. The song for today's episode will appear at the end of the show. I feel truly lucky that we have each other on this journey. I'm looking forward to us both supporting each other's dreams and goals as we make 2022 a year to remember. Congrats at making it through and finding your correct gate. As we wait for our, them to let us know to join the plane today, let's move on to today's show topic, Lodging in Japan, Part 1. For today's talk, we'll be focusing on Western-style hotels as well as Airbnb. As there are so many lodging options in Japan, this is going to be a topic that will be extended through multiple future episodes. After covering each option, I'll be including examples of each that we've talked about in the current city that we're discussing. So you can familiar yourself with, with cost, amenities, and truly just find what works best for you. With that in mind, let's begin our discussion on lodging in Japan. Japan truly has a wide range of pricing and accommodation options for your visit. You could spend as low as $20 a night and go all the way up to thousands of dollars a night, depending on what you're looking for your experience to be. Now, when I traveled by myself and back in 2017, I was able to book my entire two weeks through Airbnb for a grand total of like around $450, $500. This included lodging in Tokyo, Osaka, Kyoto, and Hiroshima. Granted, my place in Tokyo was an hour-plus train ride outside of Tokyo proper, and was nothing to write home about. But it was in Japan, and it fit my budget at that time. These budget options give you what you need at the end of the day. A place to keep your things, a place to bathe, a place to lay your head at night. But there's no frills. What do I mean by no frills? When I laid down for my night in my Tokyo Airbnb apartment back in 2017, I could easily reach out and touch the walls. Yes, with my left arm and right arm, without even trying, I could touch the walls of the place I was staying in. Every time I left and came back, I had to climb up seven flights of stairs, as the building itself did not have an elevator. That being said, if it was the difference between you going or not, I wouldn't give it a second thought. And that's what allowed me to go back in 2017, and I don't regret it at all. Granted, on my next trip I've scheduled for my son and myself this summer, I'll be saving him from some of these experiences. He can experience these on his own with his friends when he returns. This is a trip I promised him since he was four. 
and I was fortunate enough to be able to spend the last five years saving for our trip so that we can have our own rooms for most of the trip. For the three weeks we'll be traveling through Japan, we're going to be able to find some deals in both Western-style hotels and Airbnb. We may add a night or two of other lodging options that we'll discuss later, but truly my main goal was first finding the best location that provided the best like ability for us to do what we want to do and give us the most amount of space possible that fits our budget. Remember, I have three of us going. I'd recommend booking these hidden gems that you find as far out as possible, if you're able to. They will most likely not be there when you look again when it's only a few months out. I've learned from my mistakes, and I know what a good night's sleep in making sure that your stop for lodging has more than just local trains running from it can really make a huge difference in your trip. Finding these good deals and saving money before your trip means that you have the option to choose to go elsewhere, spend an additional night in a city that you weren't planning, or just the flexibility to make the most of your trip. May that be you know, additional food, money to shop, gifts, etc. For our trip to Hiroshima, I was able to find a three-bedroom apartment near the Peace Museum in my friend's place, Good Time Funari, for only $120 a night for five nights. That's only 600 yen, 660,000 yen or $600 for three people. If each person was paying their own way, that's $40 a night. Plus, we have a lot more space than we would have at a hotel for that same price. We also have access to a kitchen, a washing machine for our clothes, and more importantly, we have AC and Wi-Fi. Truly, I hope this is helping you realize that your trip to Japan is way more affordable than you even realize, and you can have nicer accommodations than you were expecting while you're at it. For our stay in Osaka, we decided to go with Airbnb as we were able to find a two-story home with three bedrooms. Our plan is to use this location as our base of operations for exploring Osaka, as well as where we stay each night after exploring Kyoto and some other cities in the area. You may be asking why we chose to stay in Osaka over Kyoto, but it really is a result of having traveled to Kyoto already three times. We can save a little bit of money and get to Kyoto just fine with a short train ride. I don't see us spending more money than we need to when we really only plan to spend a day or a day and a half in Kyoto at the most, as most of what my son wants to see is outside of that area. I can pick the you know Golden Temple, Kiyomizera, like the main things to show to him. And if he wants to spend more time, we can adjust from there. But really, it's not a bad trip back and forth at all. And if we choose to spend a night there when we're running around, no worries. We can find something that's you know more of a budget item at that point in time, since really all we'd have on us is a backpack and our clothes to begin with. For our five nights in Osaka, we ended up spending around 48,728 yen or around $478 for our Airbnb. 
That's less than $100 a night. And we have an entire house to ourselves as the amenities that come with it. Now, granted, there's only one bedroom and that or one bedroom that has a bed, I should say. The others all have futons. But it's amazing how comfortable a futon can be at the end of the day, especially when you stack two of them on top of each other. For those of us keeping score at home, that's around $95 a night. And when divided out per person, that's $32 a night. You're just not going to find a hotel like that with the same price. And let me just say, for the first time I mentioned Osaka, I apologize. It was Hiroshima, as you know, my friend, is Good Time Funari. That was the one from previous Osaka's our listing that we did just now. When we began our search for Tokyo, I started to look for what was available in Airbnb. Not sure if it's the time of our visit or if things have changed in Tokyo regards to Airbnb, but I was able to find nothing really that was what I was looking for that fit my budget and gave us the train options that I was looking for. So like the one location I might've thought about if I was going by myself was located in Akihabara for $70 a night and you'd get your own apartment. But it was, remember that what I was telling you about before, about being able to touch the walls when you lay down? This is exactly that. The bed is literally jammed into this room and the bed touches the walls for you already. You get a bathroom and you get some place to sleep. But that is literally it uh, for your money. So uh, Tokyo really is its own beast. But that doesn't mean you have to spend hundreds of dollars or even thousands for a night. I like to begin my search with Google and compare Western style hotels in Airbnb, making sure to read the most recent reviews possible for your trip super carefully. And it was do- when I was doing that research for the middle of June, which is what I'm going to stick to for most of our talk to today, that's what I ended up finding. And that's where I was looking at those Airbnb options and they just weren't there. And so I began to look um, at hotels instead. And what ended up happening was we were able to find a Western style hotel room for only $62 a night for a single room. This is one area of the trip where we chose to splurge a bit at the Nohaga Hotel Ueno, Tokyo, and booked three separate hotel rooms for a total of $186 a night plus tax. This is really a steal for those rooms normally go for much more than that. This particular hotel is also located near Sinsoji and gives you a lot of options for your trip. My dream hotel in Tokyo is probably already known by you as a result of Lost in Translation being my favorite movie ever. If you haven't seen the movie yet, it's okay. That being said, Tokyo Park Hyatt is a location worth daydreaming about, and enjoying the photos of the hotel and rooms on their website is something I do multiple times a year. A base room, though, at this location starts at $400 a night. Neither has a king size or two twin beds. A deluxe room with a little more space and a view is $535 a night. And pricing for this hotel can run all the way up to $7,395 a night for the presidential suite. 
This is definitely a location that we'll discuss more about in future episodes when we talk about Tokyo. Now that you have an idea of the range and pricing for both Airbnb and Western Side Hotels, I like to delve a little deeper into both. Airbnb for me is truly my preferred method of lodging in Japan. You may feel differently when it comes to the use of this service, but let me explain why this is the best choice for me at this point in my life. As we talk about in previous episodes, I have my very own dreams come true savings account just like you. I add money to this account from every paycheck and love the fact that I don't have to keep track of what I spend and it's not a part of my main account. My biggest fear is that I'll end up having money that went into a credit card because of a refund that ends up going into not that account. Like, I don't want to have to look at my credit card and say, nope, can't spend this money, this balance that's here because this is for Japan. That would be such a headache. So one thing that Airbnb allowed me to do when I was refunded last summer from the trip that I was planning to take for my son was purchase Airbnb gift cards. And when we booked again for this upcoming summer, I was able to use those without any worry. And I never had to worry about that money disappearing and for me having to replace it. It's truly one of the things that I enjoy most about Airbnb. I also kind of like just being in the community a lot of times that you get to see some people. Um, you get to walk around in neighborhoods early in the morning or at night. And I just really enjoy that experience. Now, if you're traveling with a group, it's also nice to do Airbnb because you're in the same place. And a lot of times you have a larger room than you'll find in most hotels. If you're planning on cooking in Japan and you want a larger fridge and a place for you all to kind of congregate at night, you really could do a lot worse than Airbnb for your trip. Now, that does not mean that I've not had any issues with Airbnb. I truly recommend you reading all the reviews before you book. If you book a location that's pretty far out on your trip, like you know, eight months out, seven months out, I recommend checking back once a month just to see if those reviews are changing. Is service improving? Is service worsening? If you book with the option to get a full refund, you, it gives you the chance to rebook somewhere else if you see things heading in a direction that you don't like. It's also important to check that refund policy, though, to see if it's one day out, two days out. Some it doesn't matter how far out you are, you're still only going to get half of your money back. So really, if you're going to use Airbnb, make sure you can get a full refund and make sure before you book. One other thing is when you're looking at pricing, try to avoid the cheapest option if you can afford to upgrade a bit. After visiting Japan numerous times, I began to slack on my double-checking these things, and it came back to bite me when I booked near Narita back in 2017. I was so used to everywhere I stayed being just a wonderful experience, or a decent one if nothing else, that I didn't read the reviews. And please, don't ever do what I did, because you don't want to find yourself in a hotel room out in the middle of nowhere, sleeping with the light on to keep bugs away from you, and keeping your shoes on because the, the carpeting underneath the carpet squares that have been thrown on the floor are filled with mildew. So, like I said, I believe 
that this is an experience you could have no matter what, though, like a hostile um, Western style hotel. Read those reviews and make sure when you do a sort that they're the most recent ones that you have possible. Now, are all of them going to be positive? No, because everybody in the world isn't positive all the time. But you can see the trend and what's going on. Now, my friend Josh, who will be on an episode of the show, either before or after our trip this summer, really prefers to stay at Western-style hotels when he travels in Japan. This is one of the many reasons I love having friends who enjoy travel, as they positively impacted my travel within Japan in numerous ways. Just the, you know, bouncing ideas off each other and getting a different set of interests was directly responsible for some of my favorite experiences in Japan. One of those benefits was finding a truly amazing hotel in Tokyo that includes us having our own room, a real bed, no footboard, a rooftop, and just some an amazing scenery of the of a river in Tokyo and getting to share that with my son. If I didn't know Josh, if he didn't speak his mind, didn't have any, you know, other ideas in me, we would have missed that potentially completely. If your trip will be multiple weeks, I would really recommend fitting in at least a stay or two in locations that give you a non-futon bed. Extended travel really adds up, and you being able to get a full night's sleep really can make or break your trip. Making sure the hotel you stay at doesn't have footboards on your bed is a huge deal if you're taller. I'm six foot two, and after experiencing what it's like to not be able to stretch out in bed once on my first trip to Japan, it is something I've made sure not to experience again. Some hotels in Japan, both Western style and business and Japanese style rooms, have a unique feature that I'm not a huge fan of, especially if you're sharing a room. Sometimes you'll get a key that has a long rectangular keychain on it that you have to insert into the wall in order to turn your lights on, to get your AC going, to get your heat going. With a lot of hotels, they only give you one key. I think in part to make sure you're not running that AC um, or heat or lights all day while you're out. But one thing that this unfortunately also shuts out at times is the refrigerator at your location as well, which really eliminates you being able to keep some things, you know, for later on or for the morning. Now, I've normally ran into this in less expensive hotels and not, you know, ones that were pricier, but it's really something to look into before you book. Remember, check those reviews. Western style hotels can add a sense of normalcy to a trip that'll involve a lot of new things and change for you. I would recommend using and like staying at one of these styled hotels at least once on your trip. Now, that being said, I don't want you to stay there the whole time, unless that's what you choose to do. But Airbnbs and other experiences can begin to get old and giving everyone their own room in a hotel gives you a little bit more space than a home or other things will at times and can really let everyone recharge and keep everyone being friendly with each other. We're going to pause our talk on lodging in Japan at this point to move on to our part two discussion about Osaka. Next time, we're going to dive even deeper into lodging in Japan with hostels, ryokens, and so much more. We have a ton to discuss.
Now it is time to board our plane, stow our overhead luggage, and make our way to our seats. As we begin to wait for the drink cart, I think it's a perfect time to discuss today's ideas of foodie spots for Osaka, as well as some actual lodging for the area. The Google Doc for today's show includes map links for most locations, but of course that is not possible for Airbnb. So as a result, I'm going to give you the titles and who you're staying with or the, the um, host is so that you can try to find them if they interest you. So let's start with some big dreams for our first idea of lodging in Osaka with the Imperial Hotel Osaka. The Imperial Hotel is a five-star Western-style hotel in Osaka with great location that overlooks the Owaka River. This hotel is really an elegant experience and over 4,400 reviews that almost fill all five stars really talks about the experience this location offers. The hotel is a 12 minutes by shuttle bus from the JR Osaka station, Sakaburashi exit. My search for pricing revealed a sale price of $200 a night for a standard twin or standard double non-smoking room. If you want a river view, you're looking around a standard cost of $300 a night for that time and is currently on sale for that middle of June time again for $235. Of course, pricing does not stop there and goes all the way up to $932 a night. The suite that includes that cost of $932 is currently on sale for $770 a night. Things to be potentially aware of for this location and other hotels that I was checking in the area as well is there could be a bottleneck from the elevators depending on the time of day. This really will appear the most during check-in and check-out times. If you're driving, the parking for this hotel can be a little confusing, so you may want to call ahead and find out where you need to park before you arrival. The hotel's restaurant looks to have a wonderful view. Everyone's reviews had a similar theme saying the food was wonderful, the staff and service was outstanding. If you're looking to make a night unforgettable and you had the funds for it, i definitely consider staying at this hotel in the future. For more of a typical Western style hotel experience and a cost I've included, the Osaka Excel Hotel Tokyo. This hotel offers what I would consider more of an average price for the area, but it has a four-star experience and is just a short one-minute walk from exit 13 of the Honomachi Station. A standard room with a double bed at this location is normally around $90 a night, but is on sale for $69 tax and fees included. A room offering two twin beds is normally around $104 a night and is on sale for $80 around the same time in June. They also have a larger room with twin beds for the sale price of $87 a night, normally $112. A room even with three twin beds for those of you with a group or family for $116 normally on sale for $90 a night. Again, all plus taxes. For my two Airbnb recommendations, I am now going to cover some of those amenities that I would consider to be non-negotiable when you begin to search for possible Airbnb locations. For me, 
I always look for a private residence that has air conditioning, heating, a washing machine, Wi-Fi, and some sort of kitchen. Since these locations are Airbnb, um, you really have a wide range of things that are there, and it really varies to, as to what you're looking to do on your trip. So one example of a search that appeared when I was searching for one adult is a room that was titled Apart Hotel hosted by Montana Flat, nearby Shinsabashi, Namba, and USJ Station, two minutes, a star, EQ. This apartment has a $17 cleaning fee and is only $43 a night for a single person, but only went up to $48 a night when I made it three adults. The nice thing is that you can get a lot of space in this apartment and it could host up to four people, they say. Although I really feel that once you hit three adults and start going past that, things are gonna begin to get cramped. This location has two bedrooms, three beds, and one bath. Check-in begins around 4 p.m. And from all my experiences, you can always ask, but I can almost guarantee you, you're not going to be able to get in early. So check-out is 11 a.m. the following day. And one really nice thing about this location is the complex does have an elevator. Like I said before, carrying my luggage up seven flights of stairs, something I don't wanna do again, even with it being in a backpack. The location offers self-check-in, which is just a keypad that you're gonna get a code from them that you put in that will help unlock the door or unlock your key box that you're going to have for the key that's there. It offers full refunds as long as you cancel at least two days in advance. And one last thing about this location is it offers a free portable Wi-Fi, which is something a lot of stays within Airbnb have included. Sometimes my cell didn't end up working in different areas and having that Wi-Fi backup was huge. This particular location is about five minute walk from Osaka Metro and JR Lines. How close the location is to a subway or transportation is a really big deal. I'd also recommend putting into Google Maps a trip from that location that you're looking at and just see how long it takes you to get to where you're looking to and do it for different times of day. Just make sure, again, you have as many express runs as possible to get you where you're going and make the most of your time. When you're checking Airbnb, click all those options I've talked about and just make sure to, that a full refund is one of those that you don't skip out on. The range of pricing for Osaka on the dates and my cert options discuss looked to range from as low as $33 a night and go all the way up to $200 a night. The location that was $200 a night was the entire rental unit um, that was hosted by Takahiro. Umeda, three minutes slash Namba, four minutes Nippon Bashi, 12 minutes slash Higobashi. This unit is a very comparable to the first one, except what you're paying for a lot of times in Japan is space and location. But really in this instance, it's just that more space. You also have a bigger cleaning fee of $78 compared to the other one. The price for the unit is the same for one adult or three. It's $195 a night. This Airbnb also seemed to have great locations. It was only three minutes from Shin Sabashi, um, from Umeda, and four minutes from Namba. If you're going with a group, 
you could do a lot worse than this location. We'll discuss more pricing options for other accommodations in our next episode in Osaka, and most likely some other episodes for the following city. For now, let's move on to talking about some different food options for your stay in Osaka. For our vegan listeners, I'm excited to say I was able to find a fully vegan restaurant called Fahu Susi Oriental Shojin Kitchen, located in Dantonbury. It's a more recent addition to the city and only has 34 reviews. That being said, if it's open, I would very much recommend for you to visit it when you're in Osaka. At the moment, it's temporarily closed due to COVID restrictions, but my hope after reading their website is that they plan to reopen and as soon as do that after restrictions are lifted. One reason I'd like to visit this location without even being vegan is that they have some amazing outdoor eating and one also just as amazing view of Osaka on its top floor. When I looked at their website, it does look like they plan on, you know, having small menus and really focusing on what they had. All of the pictures, it's like, I mean, just look at the website for just something fun. Go check it out. They do limited menus. I think they're just choosing to like make the best quality food out of a few items as opposed to just, you know, like not specializing and having a ton of different options. When I was looking through, one thing that caught my eye, my eye was curry udon soup. I would go there for that alone. And truly, finding a vegan restaurant in Japan is still very rare. And it's something that they really, really do need more of in Japan. And I hope that this trend continues. For our next location, we're going to talk about Okonomiyaki Kiji. It's an Okonomiyaki restaurant located in the Kita Ward of Osaka, inside the Umeda Sky Building with over 640 reviews. This restaurant is currently open from 11.30 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. Reviews comment that this restaurant often has a line outside it with people queuing to get in, which is quickly followed by comments that mention how the wait was worth it. For an area that has so many options for okonomiyaki, this speaks volume for the quality of food at this restaurant. Apparently, the restaurant also has a lot of photos on the wall of the owner posing with visitors to the restaurant. And so many people just say it doesn't matter if it's your fifth visit or first. They're very welcoming and just want to make you have a wonderful time while you're there. Okonomiyaki is definitely a meal to be experienced at least once in your visit. For me, it's the closest to what I like almost refer to as pizza from the States that you're going to find in Japan. It's a meal that you could have by yourself, but it's one of those that, that I you know find often like is something that's shared by others. Doesn't mean it has a crust. It doesn't have like, you know, your cheese or something, like, you know, things like that that you're talking about. But when I think pizza, I think, you know, sharing it with others. And this is the closest you're going to get to that. That's like that Japanese version of it. Takoyaki is another amazing Osaka experience. Now, I'm not a big fan of seafood, so it's something I've only tried once. These grilled or fried octopus dumpling or balls are just one of those things that are synonymous with Osaka. And it is a big experience and things that people will ask you about when you visit other areas. Um, one thing I can say is that to not bite into them right away, 
and instead poke them and let them cool. Unless you're, of course, a fan of scalding your mouth and throat for, you know, after your trip. One location in Osaka that I found to share with you and the listeners today to experience this dish is Hanakado, who has over 1,800 views and located in the Kita Ward on floor one of the Shin Umeda Shokuku Dogai building. This location has a website that shows the cues that can form and shows the counter experience that you will have here. Although people said it was tight quarters for dining, numerous reviewers said it was worth their weight. And if there had been less of one originally, they would have hopped back in line for a second order. This is one wonderful snacking experience. It can be had for just around 800 to 1,000 yen or eight to $10. And it looks truly like you were getting a lot of food. The Pokemon Cafe Osaka, which is also home to Pikachu Sweets, and wasn't even something I knew I was going to include. Otherwise, or like even knew about. If I had found this earlier, it would have been included in our previous episode on cafes. But I couldn't let this go. Normally, a location like this is temporary and usually closes before I can visit. But Osaka has one of two permanent locations for a Pokemon cafe in all of Japan. It is for sure a place I'm going to make sure to visit at least once on my next visit. Your kuai cuteness factor is turned up to a thousand at this location, and I can only hope that you're able to pur- that I am able to purchase a Gengar glass that I saw on the menu when I visit. Please, Pokemon Center staff, if you're listening to this episode, put one aside for me for this summer. This location does require advanced reservations, though, and it looks like they do so on a monthly basis. Now, I'm not sure if this changes over at the beginning of the month, end of the month, like when it happens. So it's something you probably want to start looking kind of like in advance to see when this occurs so that you don't miss out on this experience. So this location looks to be open from 10 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. and is located on the ninth floor of the Damaru Shinsebashi Main Building. It's definitely worth checking on their website for this cafe. It looks like pricing includes the meal option to buy the plate or cup for some of the items that you have, or just have the meal and experience it and hand it back. One cool thing that is located next to this center is, or next to the cafe, is the Pokemon Center in Osaka. It's one location also definitely worth your time. I have visited similar cafes like this in the past and can admit the range of quality for these foods and drinks really can vary. I was able to experience a one-piece hamburger-themed experience back on my 2017 trip. And I was impressed with how they looked um, and how they were presented and like the decorations around me, but I was really let down by taste. Luckily, after looking at reviews, it looks like this is not the case with the Pokemon Cafe. You are, however, limited to 90 minutes for your stay, but during this time, you could be visited by Chef Pikachu and possibly shake their hand. Also, it seems that some of the cups, like Pikachu cup for coffee or hot cocoa, can only be purchased when you dine there. So you have to order the drink and pay the extra funds to get it. You can't just go to their store and purchase it. The Gingar fruit smoothie drink that I want is $9.90, around $10, 990 yen by itself, or 1,870 yen, or around $18.70 uh, for the drink, and you get the cup. Same thing for a Eevee-themed one as well. 
Um, there's also a Pikachu and Eevee plate meal. All the food that is in it uh, that it, you can purchase for around $19 uh, for the meal or $31 to have it with the plate. All of it's kind of like shaped to look like them or, you know, different things that are here. It's just so amazing. I just we'll talk more about cafes like this in the future, but the pricing can really vary. So it's nice to know that you're paying what you're paying because in a lot of cafes, you're charged for your time. And some of the fees, the fees are kind of like hidden. And if you're not expecting, it can be really caught off guard on pricing. So the one uh, moving on from our uh, Pokemon, uh, me geeking out, there's also an Izakaya Shinkawa Nishua. A location in the Nanawa Ward, over 230 reviews that are overwhelmingly positive. A lot of the reviews talk that drinks as well as snacks served at this location are very reasonably priced. This location is near the Namba Station and opens around 9 p.m. and is open till around 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. depending on the day. The pictures of the food look divine and looks very varied as to what they serve. It does look like this location is small and takes reservations. After coming through the reviews, the menu is not in English and it does not look like they have any English staff. There's no uh, website that we can you know, try to cheat with. So it's either going to be that scan and translate app to try to help you get some things or you know, call out for a chef's choice. And a lot of times they take into account that you're a foreigner and they're not going to just give the weird, weirdest thing on their menu. Okay. So I look forward to continuing our talk about Osaka with even more locations in episode 15, where we'll continue our discussion on lodging in Japan, as well as food and other fun location and trip options for Osaka that are a little more off the beaten path. It's really looking like there's so much more to cover that we're probably going to end up coming back to Osaka later on after the next episode. So if you have anything to share or anything that you've experienced in Osaka that you'd like to be included, please uh, reach out and we'll look to include that as well. Housekeeping for today. Please give a follow, a like, and a comment on your favorite streaming service. For updates on the show, feel free to give a follow on Instagram at Lost Without Japan or visit lostwithoutjapan.lipson.com. If you'd like to reach out to me directly, feel free to use that old-fashioned email at lostwithoutjapan at gmail.com. I also want to say a big thank you again for our sponsor, the K-Pop Kimchi Podcast. The super brief advertisement will go at the end of today's show. If you could give a listen and check them out, it'd be much appreciated. Looks like we're ready to land now. So by, on behalf of the Lost Without Japan and the entire crew, I'd like to thank you for joining us on this trip. And we're looking forward to seeing you on board again in two weeks for episode 15, as well as a bonus episode or two where you will get to listen to my interview with Joel Edwards from the Moonlighters Club and also hear me interview him. There's going to be so much more coming. I'm so excited to share it. There's just so many fun things that are coming as a result of creating this podcast. And I want to say thank you once again. To everyone out there, Oginki Day, stay well, my friends. Our song that's going to bring us out for today is 
a song by the Peggies called Camino Mose. Thank you so much. Enjoy the music. See you again in two weeks.
What's up, everybody? Welcome to the K-Pop Kimchi Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Turner, with my co-host, Paul Grow Up, Ryan Limper. And when you need a break from planning your upcoming trip or maybe even your first trip to Japan, be sure to come check us out on the K-Pop Kimchi Podcast, your number one source for all things K-Pop related.